morning and happy 4th of July. All right, y'all can respond back. Happy 4th of July. There we go. Oh, man, that was wonderful. Oh, man, 4th of July is one of my favorite holidays. Um, I grew up on a farm, and so we had plenty of space to blow stuff up. And, and, you know, I, I say that all the time, and, and people always, you know, are like, oh, yeah, I love blowing stuff up. Um, and, and realize that in, in, in all honesty, besides a few fireworks, I wasn't the guy that blew stuff up. But I loved watching other idiots blow stuff up, particularly my brothers and cousins, because it was just fun watching them do stupid stuff. And, uh, and, but in, in, all, in all actuality, we used to take these uh, uh, bottle rockets, and we would shoot each other with the bottle rockets. I don't think they were meant to be held in your hand. I think they were meant to be put in a bottle. Um, and so my kids who are in the room, hey kids, how are you guys? Um, probably have no idea what that's like because the biggest firework they've ever held in their hand is a sparkler. Did anyone else take the bottle rockets and chase after your siblings with it? No, you guys like, what is wrong with you? Why would you ever do that? Because we're bored. There's nothing else to do in rural America. Um, but in, in all uh, honesty, I love Fourth of July because it's time where uh, you get to sit and be with family, to celebrate, eat good food, and of course, um, to celebrate the great nation that we have the privilege and the blessing to be a part of here in the United States. Amen? We are so blessed. And this is such a wonderful weekend to remember and to celebrate that freedom that we have here in this nation. It's also a great weekend to be in church. You know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's 4th of July weekend, get outside, grill. They don't think about church. But really, we can't think about freedom in this country and not think about the freedom we have in Christ. And it reminds me of the passage in Galatians chapter 5 where it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And so today we celebrate not only the freedom and the liberties that we have and that we continue to fight for in this country, um, but we celebrate the freedom, the true freedom we have in Christ. Amen. And we want to remember today, not only do we have that freedom, but as Paul said, that we don't um, seep back into the burden of the law into religiosity, into to guilt, into shame in our lives. And so I just want to take a moment and just have us bow our heads and just pray for our nation. You know, we are so blessed to be here, but, Lord, but our nation has been going through a lot. And we are all aware of the divisions and the turmoil and the challenges we face in the road ahead of us. So I just want us to, you know, if you want to just stretch out your hand or just, you know, open up your hands and let's just pray for our nation, our brothers and sisters in this country. Lord God, we thank you. We are so grateful for the opportunities and the freedom that we have in this country. We're so thankful for the men and the women that have sacrificed their lives so that we might be here today to worship in freedom, Jesus. To worship not in fear, but in unity and love for each other and for you, Jesus. We thank you for the many people that, that sacrificed um, and fought for um, the freedom of, of those that are in our nation, that stood up for what is right, that did what uh, went against the stream of comfortabilities and, and, and spoke up against injustice, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for our nation. 
We pray that in these times where it seems like division is on every corner, Lord, we pray for your spirit to bring the unity only he can bring. We pray that, Lord, that there would be more people that would come to know you and find freedom in you and peace in you from their anxiety and their fear and their anger and their, their hurt, Jesus. And, Lord, we pray for our nation today, God. We pray that you would continue to move in our nation and to draw our hearts to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our series in Mark today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 and 8. And so what I want to encourage you to do, um, where's Rice? Rice is right there. So it is July 4th, so we can be a little bit more relaxed. So one, I preach a lot better if you talk back at me. So if I say something and you don't like it, you can be like, boo, no, don't boo me. Um, mainly positive stuff would be great. Um, kiddos, if you're like getting bored, you'd be like, preacher, speed it up. I want to get to McDonald's or whatever, okay? No, don't say that. But, you know, encourage me a little bit, right? It's 4th of July. Let's talk back and forth. Let's have a little fun with this. But we're going to have an old-fashioned Bible study. We're just going to be going through the book of Mark 7 and 8. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to that chapter in Mark 7 and 8. If you do not have your Bibles, you have this thing called a phone that actually has a Bible on it, but it's not a Bible. We got some Bibles up here. And so who wants a Bible? All right, let's get some Bibles. All right, some of you are like, I don't know what a Bible is. I just have this thing on my phone right back here. All right, this is really important, all right? I know your phone is great. It's amazing. But in service, if you're anything like me, if I get on the Bible on my phone, I'm one minute reading the Bible. The next minute, I'm scrolling through my news feed. And I don't know how I got there. It's this weird phenomenon. I'm like, what? how am I reading news now? Um, and so... One, to remove distractions, I encourage you to put your phone away in service. Pull out an actual Bible. Secondly, if the preaching is bad, you know, if it's no good, then at least you have the Bible there. You have some good reading for you that you can go through. You can be like, well, I don't know what he's saying, but hey, Jesus spoke some pretty cool things here, right? And I, and I, I joke about that, but there's been so many times I've been in a sermon and I have my Bible open and I'm reading the passage and all of a sudden I just keep reading. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. And 20 minutes in, I don't know what he's saying or she's saying, but man, God is speaking to my heart because I'm present to his word. And so I just encourage you, bring your Bibles, bring your journals. One, if you have troubles paying attention like me, you need something physical to keep you in the room. So, so I encourage you to dive in the word of God. If you're just now joining us this summer and you didn't know that we have devotionals uh, that we created in the back for you to go through the text with us, I'd hope you grab one of those today and start reading with us because we want you in the Word of God. You've also probably noticed that we cover two chapters a week, and I, I am unable in my best of preaching days to preach two chapters in one week. All right, so, so what we're trying to encourage you to do is to get in the Word of God. So we cover two chapters, but really we're only able to teach a small portion of it. And so it's so important that you're getting in God's Word, you're reading it for yourself, and you're coming prepared. Does that sound good? So we're going to be in 7 and 8, so go ahead and open up your Bibles there. And I'm going to pull a Risa and sit, although the table's a little tall. Oh, there we go, there we go. You got to use your whole body weight to get it down. All right. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse chapter 11, is where we're going to read. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf, and they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of this discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. They look like trees. I heard it. What? That's an that's appropriate response. A little Lord of the Ring-ish thing going on here. Massive trees walking around. Don't you love kids? Like they have the response we all should have. I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And I love this verse. And he saw everything clearly. He saw everything clearly. Lord, help us see clearly today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is Missing the Forest for the Trees. No? No play on words? Okay. I am a dad, all right? I got to like do like play on words. This is where my daughter rolls her eyes at me. Missing the forest through the trees. How's your eyesight this morning? All right, look around to your neighbor. Kids, look to your parents. Say, Hi, are you, how are your eyeballs working? All right, how's your eyesight these days? How are you seeing? I don't know about you guys, but I could use a little bit more clarity in my life sometimes. And I have a tendency to, over time, grow blind and deaf to God's word, to his presence, to who he truly is and what he's doing. Amen? And I don't know about you this morning, but I need to see and I need to understand more clearly. Is there anyone else that needs to see or understand more clearly? Amen. So the theme today is spiritual blindness, and that's really what I think the thrust of these two chapters are. And, and really, this is a theme that has been consistent throughout Mark. We see it in the, in the early chapters um, where the Pharisees and the disciples and even Jesus' own family seem to keep missing the point. They keep missing the forest through the trees, you know, not through the trees. My wife corrected me, for the trees. And, 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 they, and, and you know, it starts in chapter 3, right? They, they come to him and say, hey, to his disciples, why is Jesus eating with these sinners? 
And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says, it's not, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And even in that, I think they misunderstood. They heard that and said, well, it's not I that need the doctor, the healthy. They missed the point. They missed what he was saying in that very moment that, hey, it's those that realize that they're sick that really need me. They, their, their perspective was not right. And this continues later on that, that, that they're with Jesus and it's, it's the Sabbath and they're watching him going to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath, right? And they're just waiting to call him on it. And sure enough, he heals on the Sabbath and he not only heals, but he forgives the sin of this man. And, and, and then he looks at the Pharisees and says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You're missing the point. You're not getting it. You're seeing, but you're not truly seeing what's happening here. You're not truly understanding. You're blind to this reality. You're missing the forest for the trees. And this comes to a climax here in this passage in chapter seven and eight. And Mark does what Rob called last week, what he called the Marconian sandwich or something. He uses bigger words than I do. I'm just going to call it a Mark sandwich. All right. Um, he does this, this amazing literary thing. And it starts out in, in chapter seven, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, why is it that your disciples aren't washing their hands? And at first glance, all of us COVID-aware people were like, yeah, why aren't they washing their hands? They should be washing their hands. That's nasty, right? They should be washing their hands. But in reality, what happened was in the, in the Jewish system, they created these traditions and they called it a, a, a fence around the law. And they created this fence so that they made sure that they didn't val um, vi violate the commandments of God. And so that's a good thing, right? somewhat, but it got twisted along the way. So they created these fences. And one of those fences was that um, it, it's way too complicated to go into detail, but basically they washed their hands and their feet, their basins, whenever they went out and they went from place to place. And so as they're excavating these homes in Israel, they're actually finding all these ceremonial washing stations to this day. Um, and so it got like ridiculous. You know, these were like the extreme people that were like getting the the, what is it, alcohol pump clean, cleaner every five seconds so much so that their skin's like coming off. You know, they're cleaning all of the time because they don't want to be unpure. They don't want to be unclean. And, and, and so they start doing this. And so they're like, hey, why, why is it your, your disciples aren't doing this? And, and he once again says, you hypocrites, you wash the outside of the cup, the cup but you leave the inside unclean. And it's what's inside that taints a person and not what's on outside of a person. Once again, the disciples or the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the experts of the law are missing the point. They're missing the point. And in their desire to be obedient, in their desire to follow God, to follow Yahweh, in their dedication and their faithfulness, they miss the point. They miss the forest for the trees. And the passage continues and we begin to see that it's not just the religious leaders, but even his own disciples, his closest companions on the journey can't quite see and understand clearly. And so what Mark does in this passage is he juxtaposes um, these two stories, these parallel stories of a healing of a blind man and the healing of a mute and deaf man. 
So it's really cool. So you're looking at the, the, the blindness and the deafness of the Pharisees and the disciples, and he juxtaposes, he, he puts them right next to each other where he's healing and restoring sight and hearing. I don't know, but I think that's pretty cool. Anyone else think that's cool? Oh, and I got paper up here. I don't know if you know what this is. It's a wood-based uh, means. So no iPad today, going old school. So this miracle sandwiched between these two instances where religious leaders and disciples, um, where the religious leaders and disciples' own blindness is on display. And so most commentaries agree that this physical healing of blindness serves as a paradigm for the spiritual healing that would occur over time in the disciples' sight. But it would come gradually, and as we know, difficultly, difficultly. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. Um, Rob's not here, so I can get away with grammar issues. So as you can see, I wear glasses, so my eyesight is not the best. Um, I got glasses when I was in third grade. Um, back then, it was largely just for reading and looking at computers and when I was in school. And so I didn't have to wear them all the time, so I never did the contacts. One, it grosses me out to touch my eye. Um, and put things on it. Anyone else? I see John. Amen. You can say amen. Um, and, and I didn't have to wear glasses all the time. So I, I wore glasses um, for most of my elementary school years. And then in high school, I kind of got lazy and maybe I wanted to also not look dorky in front of the girls. This was before eyeglasses were like cool. Um, and so I kind of quit wearing my glasses and I started coping with um, my blindness. Like I got, I got used to um, my ability not to see well and, and just kind of adjusted to it and didn't really notice it most of the time until I hit like mid-30s and I'm reading Dr. Seuss to my kids and I literally can't see the words. And so I'm like, I'm going to have to start making this up. Um, luckily, Dr. Seuss is pretty easy. You just start rhyming and, and calling things crazy. Uh, but yeah, so I'm reading Dr. Seuss. I literally can't see it. And so I'm like, I better go back to the eye doctor. And so I go to see the eye doctor and he's like, yeah, you need to be wearing glasses all of the time. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, your, your, your eyesight's gotten significantly worse. And, and, and I don't know how this works, but he said, one eye, you actually your stronger eye is getting worse quicker because it's overcompensating for the other eye. And if you don't take care, if you don't watch out, you're going to have really significant um, sight issues later on in life. And so he kind of put the fear of God in me and I got some glasses and I wore them for a couple years and, you know, and my wife was like, oh, they look so good on you. And I was like, yeah, you know. And, and so I started, wearing, I started wearing my glasses and it was doing pretty good. And then COVID happened. And I don't know about any of you guys that didn't suffer from this reality, but wearing a mask and glasses is the worst thing ever because it's like Darth Vader and you can't see anything every time you breathe. And so I kind of, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm not wearing this because I was constantly taking them on and off when I had the mask on. And, 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 and so I got out of the habit of wearing my glasses again. And it was recently like, I, I realized like I am literally can't see anything. So if any of you were like 20 feet from me and you were like, why is he not saying hi to me? It's because I didn't see you. Or like I saw your outline, but I wasn't sure if it was you or not. Um, I wasn't being unfriendly, but I, I literally couldn't see anything. And so I went to go get my glasses and put them on and I need to go see the eye doctor and get a new prescription. 
But all that to say is I had adjusted to my blindness. I had gotten used to it so much so that oftentimes I didn't notice it until um, I was put in a situation where it was made obvious to me that I was blind. And much like the eye doctor, he said, man, you've got to really watch out. You've got to take care of your eyesight. Otherwise, the blindness will get worse. And we see Jesus says here twice, he says, be careful. Be careful. Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Jesus lets out then a deep sigh and a groan. In the original Greek, this reads that he groaned in his spirit. This is an interesting and rare word. In fact, it's never, it's never used in the entire New Testament except for this one chapter, and it's used twice. The first time it's used, it's when he gets ready to heal the deaf and the mute man. And he sighs deeply. He groans deeply. And the second time is response to the Pharisees. And this New Testament word is actually, this Greek word, um, is the, it would be the same Hebraic word that's used most commonly in the book of Exodus. And so where you find it is Jesus, or not Jesus, but God has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He, they're in the desert and they start complaining. Why have you brought us out here? Have you brought us out here to die? We were better off as slaves in Egypt, at least we had meat to eat and water to drink, but instead we're going to die out here in the desert. And it's in that moment that God kind of just, just sighs like, oh my goodness, what are you saying? You were slaves. You had no rights, no freedom, no opinion. You had nothing. You were treated like nothing. And I delivered you and I set you free. And now you still don't get it. That is the same word that we see here. This, it's not one of anger. It's not one, uh, uh, it's just deep disappointment and sadness that they just don't see clearly. They don't understand what God is doing. And that's what we see here, that, that, that Jesus sighs deeply. I think Jesus cares very much about how his followers today are seeing. I think he cares very much about our, blind, our spiritual blindness today as much as he did then. And that there's times where he lets out a deep sigh because he longs for us to see clearly and to understand fully who he is and what he's doing. Amen? Are you concerned? Are you taking care to guard against the spiritual glycoma in your life? What are you doing? What are you watching out for in your heart, in your life, to guard against that spiritual blindness that, that we all have a tendency to allow to creep in and to begin to harden our hearts so that we're not able to see clearly what God is and what he's doing? See, we all have the problem of perpetually missing the forest through the trees to spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. And it was ironic that it was those who were closest to Jesus, those who would seem to have the faith advantage, Jesus' family, his hometown, the religious experts, and his disciples that least understood and most often resisted. It was those that were closest to him that you would think they had the advantage. And, and I think we still are that, at that same 
risk today that sometimes those that are closest to Christ and closest to religion and closest to faith, that we can easily grow blind or hard-hearted to God, to his word. Pastor J.D. Greer said this. He said, the Holy Spirit did not go into such detail about the Pharisees in the New Testament just so that we could understand a, gr- of a, a group of unique, unique to the first century. Phariseeism is a poisonous weed that grows in every garden of Orthodox religion. Phariseeism is, is ever bit the threat of the Orthodox today as it was then. None of us can stand, right, spiritual pride or hypocrisy. I've never met anyone that likes hypocrisy. It's something none of us can stand in other people. Yet it is a virtue that exists in us all. We all, to varying degrees, are blind to our own self-assurance and pride. We all have a little inner Pharisee that needs to be dealt with on a regular basis. You can say that. We all have an inner Pharisee. Say, I have an inner Pharisee. There we go. Some of you are like, no, I don't. (laughs) So let's turn back to our text and get a better understanding of this spiritual condition of blindness. We read in Mark um, 8, 17, it said, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, do you still not understand? So here we see that Jesus defines blindness as having eyes but not seeing, having ears but not hearing, knowing but not fully understanding, experiencing but not allowing it to change our perspective. See, the Pharisees had the knowledge. They had every bit of knowledge that we could ever imagine about God. And yet, they still didn't understand. The disciples saw miracles happen. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, it didn't seem to change their perspective. Here's my first observation of the text. See, we can see great works of God and have all the knowledge in the world. And yet, still fail to understand and trust him. See, we can fall into the trap, and I did in my life, that, man, I just need more understanding. I need to read one more book. I need to listen to one more sermon. I need to download one more podcast. Information was king. I need to go to seminary. I need to study more more deep Greek and Hebrew books. I need to do all of this, and then maybe I'll be able to trust God. But see, the blindness of this is, is is seeing doesn't come from knowledge. And it doesn't even come sometimes from experience. Seeing purely is a gift of God in our life. It's a work of God in our hearts and lives. We can see the great works of God and we can have all the knowledge and yet still fail to understand and trust him. In fact, sometimes a knowledge can be the very thing that hinders us from true understanding. The passage goes on to say in verse 16, they said, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. 
aware of this discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about bread? All right, let's be honest. Who's sitting here listening to me preach and you're wondering, what am I going to eat for lunch? All right, it's okay. I do it. I know I look really skinny, but I'm from Texas. We love our food. When we're eating food, we're talking about our next meal. Every meal, we're talking about the next meal in detail. And then we're like, oh, I'm so full, but I can't wait for the peach pie tonight. I love this. I love this moment that's so human where the disciples here, Jesus is like, he's like, he's like disappointed and his heart's broken. And they're like, man, it's because we didn't bring snacks. <laughs> Isn't that like us though, that we, we can get so consumed with our physical limitations that we miss the deeper heart work that God wants to do in us. I know in my life that so often what's blinded me to who God is and what, he, what he's doing is that I can't get past what's right in front of me. I can't see past the pain that I'm going through right now. I can't see past uh, the frustration at work. I can't see past the physical pain that maybe I'm going through. And it's not to, to diminish those things, but that, that, that God is saying in the midst of that, I'm using that to teach you a deeper and broader divine perspective. So right now, there might be something in your life, man, maybe it's your singlehood, maybe it's um, issues in your family, and it's just consuming your mind and your heart, and it's consuming your vision, and God's saying, hey, let me take you a little bit deeper and show you a, a, a higher up perspective. But oftentimes, we get blinded by the fact that there's no snacks. In verse 22, it says, they came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I want to point this out because we didn't read um, the other passage where Jesus healed a deaf and mute man. But it's interesting, if you read both texts, this, this phrase is repeated exactly the same. It says that, that, that the person was bought, brought, in some translations, by friends and begged Jesus to heal them. It's the exact same sentence in both places. And, and th this is something when you're studying scripture and you notice that God is repeating himself, that's a moment where you go, hey, what is he saying here? When you notice that he, re he reuses certain words or certain phrases or certain titles, man, underline that, highlight and say, what does that mean? Because it's obviously here for a reason. But twice he says, that, that, that friends brought them to Jesus and begged that they heal him. And I think this is significant. And as I was reading it, I, I just felt like the tug of the Holy Spirit. And, and it said this, who are you bringing before me and begging that I would give them understanding? See, because my tendency is to revert to argument. I'm really good at debating, right, honey? <laughs> She's shaking her head at me. I, I like to argue, okay? My, my, my natural way is to revert to knowledge, to convincing. What we see here is that these people received healing because they were brought by friends that begged Jesus to heal them. And I guarantee that some of you are in this room because of friends 
that prayed and brought you to Jesus. And then your eyes were open and your ears could hear. And I, I just want to stop there because I think so often, especially nowadays, we're frustrated with the blindness of our fellow believers. And I really think the best thing we can do is bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, give them understanding. And while we're at it, give me understanding. Give me sight to see. Give them sight to see because it's only God touching them that can really bring sight in their life. Amen? Continuing on, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? I think it's interesting that the first thing that Jesus does is lead him out of town. He leads him out of town. There's many reasons for this. Um, I don't have time to get in all of them, but I think it's interesting because here's a man that cannot see, being led by a man he does not know to a place he's never been. Think about that. Here's a man that cannot see, being led by a man that he does not know to a place he's never been. Here's my observation. At the beginning of this text, the religious leaders wanted to see first, see first, and then they would trust God. The blind man, however, trusted first, and then he began to see. Do you see it? The Pharisees, they wanted to see first, and then they would trust. The blind man trusted, and then sight slowly became, came to him. See, the Pharisees' demand for a sign isn't of itself a sign of attempting to gain empirical means of what can only be gained by faith and trust. Faith, depends not, uh, faith that depends on proof is not faith, but only veiled doubt. Faith, like love, cannot be proven. It can only be demonstrated by trust and active commitment. Sight comes by faith. It comes by trusting that God is leading us. And I I think so often um, we miss out on what God is doing in our life because we want to understand first and we're not willing to trust. And I can tell you in my life, when I've been willing to trust first, God has later on brought greater understanding and clarity to what he's wanting to do in my heart or in the hearts of those around me. So this man is kind and allows him to lead him out into the middle of nowhere. And what does Jesus do? He spits on him. (laughs) Say, that's nasty. That's nasty. I don't know about you. I've been spit on um, in my life a good bit. I grew up with two brothers, um, and I didn't do the spitting. I was the middle child. I was Mr. Peacekeeper, but I've been spat on and uh, never enjoyed it. Um, It never made me feel loved or warm or uh, it was not great, right? Um, So what is Jesus doing here? Why does he spit on him? What is he up to? Here's what I think it is. I, I, honestly, we, I don't think we know. 
I don't think we know why he spat on him, but as I, as, I, as I was reading this text, this is what I think he was doing. I think that in the process of Jesus wanting to heal my spiritual blindness, I've experienced that he often has to challenge or even offend my personal sensibilities. See, how I think God should act or what I think is the right way. And so I think this challenges us. Do we have space for our sensibilities to be offended? Because oftentimes that's what it takes for our blindness to be broken in our lives. And this was a stumbling block for the Pharisees. Jesus didn't show up the way they thought he would. He didn't act the way they expected him to. He, he offended their sensibilities. And so they said, no, I can't have any of that. Are we willing to have our own sensibilities offended in the process so that maybe he can give us a broader understanding and perspective? Going on, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. I think this is here because it's a two-stage cure. Uh, cure in the present miracle suggests that revelation comes slowly and over time. We often want it now. I want to understand now, and yet what we see in the disciples and what we see in this man is that it's a process. And I think even in our own understanding, we can come to this point and be like, I got it. I got this figured out. I understand, right? But in reality, in our own self-assurance, we we don't even fully see. And so this two-step cure is just showing us that, that oftentimes the journey to sight is a process. And we constantly need to return to Jesus and have him touch our eyes. Touch our eyes. So we're going to close up here with a quote. Stephen Claiborne in his book, The Irresistible Revolution, said this. That stuff that Jesus warned us to beware of, the yeast of the Pharisees, is so infectious today in the camps of both liberals and conservatives. It is a similar self-righteousness, just with different definitions of evil doing. And it can paralyze us in judgment and guilt and rob us of life. Rather than separating ourselves from everyone we consider impure, maybe we are better off just beating our chests and praying that God would be merciful enough to save us from this present ugliness and to make our lives more beautiful so that people cannot resist that mercy. I don't know about you, but as I read that, that just resonated in me. That in this present ugliness, that Lord, we come to you and we say, Lord, help us see. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have ears to understand. Guard us from this present ugliness and make our lives so beautiful that people can't resist the mercies of Christ. Do you think today it's possible that we can suffer from spiritual blindness? 
do you think it could be us? I think that's why it's so incredibly important that the people that saw, the people that were able to see what God was doing were not the people with the knowledge. It weren't the people that saw miraculous miracles. It was those that recognized that they were blind and they needed sight. It was those that realized, I don't know if I fully understand, but God helped me understand. We didn't have the time to read in chapter seven, the story of the Pharisees' blindness, but I just encourage you to read that passage and to ask the question, what were the blind spots of the Pharisees? How might Phariseeism, this poisonous weed that grows in every garden, be expressed in my life? One last point, as I was reading that passage in chapter 7 about the Pharisees, one thing that stood out to me when he was talking about the cup and how they focus on the outside but left the inside of the cup dirty was like, how much energy I focus on what's seen and yet leave what's unseen undone? How much of my life is focused on spiritual activities and and yet I leave um, the inner parts of me unaddressed? And I think one of the ways that we avoid spiritual blindness in our life is to prioritize the things that are unseen. Prioritize the prayer room. Prioritize the time in the word where no one knows that you're getting up early and you're in that word and you're saying, God, reveal your truth to me because it awakens our hearts and it, and, it, and it brings Christ into our lives to touch our eyes and to renew and to revive our sight. Amen. And let's just go ahead and stand. I want to pray over you as you go. Heavenly Father, Jesus, help us see. Help us have eyes that see and ears that hear. Lord, bring understanding to your people today, God. Lord, it's easy to point a finger and say, man, they're blind, they're hypocrites, they're self-assured, and to not look at ourselves and look at our own blindness and our own ugliness and say, God, if not for your mercies, Lord, then I too would be blind. So Lord, we just pray that in this church, that Lord, that we would continue to return to you and humbly say, God, you, you give us sight. You give us understanding. You give us insight. And Lord, we know that in left to our own devices, Jesus, that our hearts will grow hard to you. And so Lord, today, I just pray that everyone in this room as they go, that Lord, that you would use this sermon to begin to prick their hearts and to stir their desire to see more and to understand deeper what you're doing and who you are. So Lord, as they get in the word this week, bless them. Reveal your word to them. Awaken them to your truths. Reveal only what you can reveal. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much for being here. Happy 4th of July. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. We'll see you next Sunday as we jump into chapters 9 and 10. All right, have a great day.